Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Welcome to episode, I believe it's 66. Walzer you Automotive. You got it right I, for the I, first, I know, for the first time, time ever. Well, I got the first one right. Yeah, number one. You, yeah. Did, you got that one right. <laughs> episode 66. Uh, joining us in studio, this is the Church Lady episode. We're joined by... Sarah Sprinthal. And... Dana Faith Strandy. Andy Brant Bernard. And Tommy... Wow, we did it. That was so professional. It was really professional. Never to There's be no repeated again. We'll be right back after this quick, brief announcement. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? Oh, the latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say, why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state, so we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. We're rocking out, man. <laughs> Welcome to We're Back with Walzer Automotive Group's Car Selling Secrets. Uh, a, a good friend of mine, she's an Episcopal priest. I've known her for 20 years. Yeah. Can that be right? Yeah, I think, I think it was it's pretty close to that. Wesley was the reason, my oldest son, that, that brought me back to church. I decided that maybe it was time to grow up and revisited, uh, started church shopping. I grew up as an Episcopalian. I was actually baptized in Old North Church, if you can believe that. Wow. So I was in the old are part of cocktail, martini guzzling East Coast Episcopalian crowd and walked into this little church in Woodbury. I'm like, man, this is a lot different than what I remember. This is cool. There were people there from all over the world. So anyway, that's how we met. Before we get started, and we have a lot of questions, it's a tradition of the show that we have our guests uh, tell the story of their very first automobile. Most people make stuff up and lie. Being a priest, we don't expect you. So just go ahead and tell the truth. What was your first car, Dana? Well, I hate to admit this, but my grandfather gave me my first car. So I'm not in that crew of people who all saved their money through working at the Dairy Queen to buy their own car. So I was lucky. It was a 19, let me think, 1983 Ford Mustang Ooh. GLX, uh, four-cylinder, though. But it had enough pep for me. That's actually a relatively collectible car. They call that, the Ford fanatics call that the Fox body. Yes. Because it was really kind of small and square. But those are really, they're still very popular with hot rodders because they're super light and they're a lot smaller than the current Mustang. So that's kind of cool. Did you smash it up or wreck it, whatever happened to well, the GLX? No. I'm the only one who did it. My grandfather actually bought uh, a car for each one of his grandchildren. There were three of us, and uh, it was all they were all purchased at the same time. Mine never did really get crashed up, and I, it survived. So this was a brand new, you got a brand new? Yeah, Mustang? he took me out of chemistry class in high school and said, you need to come to the parking lot and, and like pick out like what kind of wheels you want and what color paint you want, et cetera. So I had to wait a few months for it to arrive. So yeah, it was. Wow. It was kind of yeah, it was wild. Okay, you're right up there with Alex. 
So she the, is up there with there's Alex. There's only absolutely. been two cake eater stories. The rest of us are driving yeah, two hundred dollar cars. Alex, uh, Tom's daughter, goes. Well, let's see. My first car, I think, was that the Jaguar or was it? The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes to show like where life has taken me now because I'm driving a two thousand Ford. Uh, 2004 Ford Focus. So, there you go. You know, I, I'm there right in sync with, with my vocation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a lot of these big uh, Joel Austin, I think, gives the wrong impression about what it's like to be an actual uh, person that runs yeah. a, a church. It's like, okay, there's like five people that make billions of dollars and everybody else right. is driving right. 16-year-old Fords, right? It's like, what, you, you work for Walmart? Well, those... Uh, <laughs> Those two did pretty well. You must be doing pretty well, too, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So tell us, uh, where did you grow up, and how did you, what was the path? How did you wind up where you are today? Well, I grew up in this uh, west-central community in Swift County, DeGraff, Minnesota. At the t- time I was growing up, it was about 172 people in the, in the town of DeGraff. Uh, and you might- had the nicest car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was... It was a wonderful small town, you know. It had its municipal liquor store, where everything that was important happened at. Uh, it had the it has a Catholic church at one end of town. Um, for a number of years, it had a gas station um, and a dog food plant. Those are like the big industries <laughs> of DeGraff, Minnesota. So, yeah. what was your first job? Uh, honestly, my first job was uh, detasseling corn when I was about fourteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You did that too, Sarah? Oh, Which yeah. is a perfect job if you're 4'11". Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Height is an issue to tasseling corn. I agree. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, I have heard all stories about it, including how miserable it was you had to put... Did you wear, like, plastic bags in the morning? Absolutely. You were soaking wet because the leaves were full of dew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And walk those fields. So tell us about your faith journey. How did this? How did you get to be a priest? But there's a lot of steps in between detasseling corn and leading the flock. I would assume. Well, somehow around first grade, I started baptizing my cats in the cow trough. Sure. I grew up on a farm, and and I haven't read anywhere that that's a requirement, but it certainly helped me identify where where I wanted to go. But I was raised Catholic, so uh, there wasn't really much room for that. I, I went to school to become a youth minister. It was really important to me to relate with kids and, and the challenges that kids have in society then and now, and did that for a number of years. Uh, I uh, listened to a friend of mine who was a Roman Catholic priest chaplain serving in Iraq. Ooh. And uh, he was the first chaplain who was injured in Iraq, uh, major head injury. His name was uh, Father Timothy Vakic. And uh, Tim, before he was injured, would call from Iraq and say, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you, you need to find a place where you can use your leadership. And it was really listening to him that uh, one day he was home on leave and he saw an ad for a job in an Episcopal church and said, you need to go apply. I thought, you're crazy. I know nothing about this. And I interviewed with these people and they're like, you know, we want you to take this job. And I'm like, I don't know anything about the Episcopal Church, and these I'm Catholic. You were the only one that applied. I know that much about the Episcopal Church. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> that may be true, but I don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. They haven't told me that part of the story. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> but nonetheless, they were when I said I'm 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 Catholic. I don't know anything about the Episcopal Church. Oh, they all said we are too, and they were all people who had come from the Catholic Church looking for a place to belong. Mm-hmm. So I started there. 
Uh, I worked with this fabulous fellow, uh, Ernie Ashcroft, and uh, decided that was the path for me. Ernie is a, a good friend of ours as well. In fact, he married us. He's a very interesting guy. He's English, and he was going to Oxford and studying some, well, something a, really hard. I don't remember what it was. He has a doctorate in genetics. Yeah, and grew up in a really kind of a non-believing home, and he went to a Billy Graham rally with a buddy of his, and it was like, a he tells the story. It's just fascinating. It's like, really? I'm going to do this now. Well, he did. That's what he did. You know, I could see the point, if you don't mind me jumping in quickly here. No, of course. Because I grew up Roman Catholic myself, but I was raised by my mother. Along with my, my father was institutionalized, so I was raised by my mother. And I did not like the fact that women couldn't be priests in the Catholic Church. I do remember that. It's like, well, that makes no sense to me, that if men can be, why can't women be? Well, here's a question. Can men be nuns? Oh, see, <laughs> turncoat. Well, they're, well they're men monks. are monks. So there are communities of women and there are communities of men. So there's a place for them there. Why do you see too many monks these days, though? I guess that's kind of the point, though. Yeah, by definition, monks are usually out and about. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I suppose that is true. I I don't know. I just... um, Catherine and I, when we go to church, there's we just moved about six months ago, and there's a, a Catholic church, kitty corner from an Episcopal church. So it depends on where there's a place to park. That's what we do. I, I call wow. Tom a closet I hadn't thought Christian. Of it that way. <laughs> There's a whole thesis paper waiting to be written. Yeah, right there. Seminary students are listening well, in right now. I'll go if it's convenient, you know. <laughs> it's one of those deals. There's nothing more convenient than right now how you can attend church online. Yeah, that's right. true. With that's your very true. Yeah, feet on the coffee table and the gospel is important, but so is adequate parking. <laughs> you gotta have a good parking spot. That's a now, again, I went to Catholic school until I was in eighth grade. The whole deal, St. Joseph's, then St. Anne's in North Minneapolis, and the whole deal. And I, and I do. I got in trouble in third grade, waiting to go to confession, to go to communion. And the priest came in and said, you know, you, when you're confessing to the priest in the confessional, you're not really talking to the priest. He's a direct conduit to God. And I said, no, he's not. I got in a lot of trouble for that one. Yeah. As a little boy, I think I was about eight at the time, and they didn't see much humor. And I didn't mean to be humorous. Like, no, it's not. Tell Dana that this is <laughs> – tell her the Palm Sunday story before we have to take a but break. But I can't use the language. You can just you, – you, I think I you know what the words You don't have to use mean. the actual word. I, mean, I won't use the actual word. I'll just read Okay. So uh, I became a, a, a uh, server, an altar boy, in seventh grade. And my first week was just before Palm Sunday. So obviously I was too much of a newbie to be serving Mass on a Palm Sunday. So I said, well, if I can't do that, I'm just going to skip going to church completely. And then we all thought, uh, Guy and Greg Laurent and Andy Fisher and I, well, we got to bring home a palm because it's Palm Sunday. So we better go in the church and get a palm and lie and say we went to church. But I said, it's not lying. We actually did go to church. We didn't go to Mass. But we went to church. That's not, it's just called shading the Shading truth. the truth, yes. yes. So we're up there in the sacristy, and we are going through the palms. And Guy says, oh, all they have left are the effed up ones. Only he said the whole word. <laughs> all they have left are the effed up ones. And I hear, <clears throat> 
turned around and the Monsignor was standing right behind me. <laughs> Guess who never served Mass ever? <laughs> that would have been me and Guy and Greg and Andy Fisher. <laughs> one week as an altar boy, never made it to serve one Mass. We'll be right back after this short break with more reasons why Tom's a failed Christian. A failed Christian, exactly. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure to be with you. One thing we keep talking about is that North American Banking Company is a community bank. Why is that important? Well, two things. First, as a locally owned and operated bank, we move quickly for our customers when it matters most. You're not waiting for a loan decision to come out of state or making the decision right here at your home. Secondly, our customers appreciate the fact that we get to know them and understand their goals. For many of our customers, we're coaches, mentors, and sometimes sounding boards for their ideas. It's hard to get that from a big bank, but it's something we do just because it's Tuesday. Well, that sounds like a great way to do business. All of our employees are working to help meet your business needs. It's how we create loyalty. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? A better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. We're chuckling after Tom realized that there's no actual palm tree that makes braided crosses. <laughs> braided palms. Thought that was a, a thing. If one did, man, they'd sell those people, out a minute. People would uh, go crazy for that. Yeah, thing. They'd, they'd be selling them on eBay for billions of dollars, like the. You probably would. That's the, probably Jesus the grilled cheese sandwich <laughs> with the Savior. and the mm -hmm. It's like, it's cheese and bread. Oh, we used to go through the whole thing, man, when they burned them and turned them into communion ash and all that stuff. Was, oh, yeah. That was phenomenal. I actually really, really, to this day, loved growing up a Catholic boy. I just loved it. Going to, going to church, you know, going to school and all the rest of it. Catherine and I spent a lot of time at... Uh, we spent a lot of time in Florida in the winter, and there's a an Episcopal church right across the street from our house. We go there, and it's packed i mean you cannot get into that if you're late for mass you aren't getting in oh yeah they i mean it's loaded with people they go they love it i don't know i just like the sense of community uh this whole thing why do you think it is i almost called her father did you hear that well you can just call brain, her dana i know but i almost did because that's how i grew up right yeah. priests were all father back yeah. then right mm -hmm. so listen mother <laughs> 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 now I forgot what I was going to talk about. But no, I did. I really enjoyed that whole sense of community. We're all in this together. I, I don't understand. I'm not getting too deep here. Because no. I don't understand. No, we want you to be boring and dull. Let's talk, <laughs> about, let's talk about the twins. Why people have to get so carried away with someone else's faith. I mean, if you have faith in God, you want to believe there's God, isn't that pretty much your business? And why do I care? Unless you're harming other people with your religious beliefs. Right. Well, but some people think you are harming them by, you know, you believe the wrong thing, so you're not going to get into heaven. But it's harmful to them. So you never know. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> she goes, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, start the clock. It gets me thinking about, you know, whether you're using the word faith in terms of, like, principles that you assent to, ideas that right. you assent to, or whether you're using faith in the sense of this is how I live my life on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, a lot of it, had, for me, has to do with, so this is it? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that in there. I would never consider myself to be, uh, like, let's say it, if there is such a thing as a, a godless world, I guess is a kind of a broad, 
kind of rash way to put it, but I don't want to think that I'm the most important thing in this on this earth. I don't even want to think that. Why would I want to think? It's a lot of pressure. You know, if you got nobody to count on, there's a lot of pressure there, don't you think? Well, absolutely. So I live with a, an 18-year-old uh, teenager who, you know, is constantly asking me questions. Yeah. Uh, she's facing uh, a very difficult cancer. Oh. And yeah. she has all sorts of questions about who is God? Why, why is God not intervening? Where is God in the, in the midst of either my cancer or in the midst of this pandemic? Uh, you know, she's not impressed by the, the, the Joel Olsteins that, you know, they might have all the, yeah. the uh, attributes, but, you know, nothing's really happening there. So lots of challenges about how is it that we live our faith life out on a day-to-day basis versus ideas. There's, there's nothing about ideas that are helping her cope with cancer. Yeah. But what is helping her cope with cancer is the fact that she has a community of people who care about her. Yep. It's yep. a community of faith who come around her, who support her, who um, who who call her up, who stop and visit, who take her out for coffee or any of those things that that Amara likes to do, opportunities to to do music, etc. Um, without that community, I think she would be very lost. Um, mm-hmm. Teenagers, she's a teenager, and so teenagers are doing what teenagers do. They're they're fairly self focused at that point. So without this community, she might not have the opportunities to engage life in the way that she has. Right. Right. And so her faith for her is not all about her. Her faith for her is about her relationships with the community. And yep. So what's essential? Love. Like mm-hmm. just bare facts. Get right down to it. It's about love. And it's about how we show up for each other. And it's about making room for people at the table and, and not deciding who gets to come to the table and who does get to come to the table. Uh, the table of bread and wine isn't mine as a priest. It's the Lord's table. And it's my, my job is not to decide who gets to come to it. My job is to move over and make sure there's enough room. See, I think that's a wonderful thing. I, 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 I remember years and years ago when this whole thing about there is no God thing back in the 60s, I think it was the first mm-hmm. time I ever heard of the late 60s, there is no God. I think there have been atheists for quite a while. Well, yeah, but I mean, it got very prevalent in the United States. I think back. it was on the yes, cover of Time did. Magazine. Yeah, it was, yes, exactly. And I remember talking to some friends about this at, at school, and I, I thought, you better hope there's a God, or at least you better hope people keep believing there's a God, because you aren't going to believe how they're going to act if there's nobody to answer to. If there yeah. is no authority, we have a major problem. And look what happened. People now will end your life. They hope you die. Andy just told me there are a bunch of people hoping that Donald Trump dies on Twitter. Yeah, The president of it. the United States. And they don't do anything about that. I mean, there are people now that will destroy your life if they think they can make any money out of it. If they believed in God, they wouldn't do that. And I'm not talking about any special God. Something bigger than you. You have to believe there's something bigger than you, or you will misbehave at a supreme level. Because that's yeah. how humans are. Well, it's interesting. Your perspective is really interesting for me to, to ponder, because I'm, I've never been inspired by authority. It's really? never inspired me to <clears throat> want to do me. anything. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that may be been the blessing of how I was raised, but yeah. um, I've been inspired by by people believing in people and i want to be a part of that i want to be a part of uh holding up what's life-giving 
on the planet mm-hmm. and holding up what's life-giving among human beings. And I would hope that we're inspired because of that uh, to, to live the way we live rather than uh, live out of fear. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that God is an authority figure that wants us to be afraid, I think. Right, right. I think that we, we, we have the opportunity to be inspired every day if we can be open to the mystery of, you know, the beauty that we see in each other as people who are images of the Holy One and in people who are strangers that we don't like or we don't know. I mean, I think that's one of the great things about going to church is I get to rub elbows with people that I probably would never allow myself to rub elbows with otherwise. Really? You know, I get to to receive, uh, you know, communion with people I don't agree with. I get to... Um, build relationships and share ideas uh, in a place where we say, okay, the overall value here is that we care for one another and that uh, we accept one another and we recognize the beauty in each other. And because of that, we can have this discussion about disagreement Mm -hmm. um, rather than letting ourselves uh, be polarized, which I think is, you know, greatly the challenge before us, both in our country and and in our church communities. Mm -hmm is real relationships, real conversation, the ability to to learn from each other, the ability to build something greater out of ideas that maybe aren't as opposing as we think they are. I think that makes total sense. I, I also just realized that at, at a high level, part of that for me is the fact that my mother worked literally 18 hours a day, and my father was gone by the time, I mean, he left for good by the time mm-hmm. Really, I was 10. He came back for a couple of months when I was 16, but then I never saw him again until he was on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. But I would like to, at some point, because my mother was working and my father was institutionalized, I would like to, at some point, sit down, whether it's God or whomever, and say, what do you think I should do? I've never had that in my life. It's a big thing for me. If I could say to God, well, what do you think I should do, God? I've never had that. That's what that's all about for me. There's always a reason for that, isn't there? Mm-hmm. There always is. So I, it's the, I guess the pressure's on you now. What should I do? <laughs> Guide your flock. <laughs> Guide your flock. Well. She was getting up to leave just now. <laughs> <laughs> well, here are two questions that I encourage you to think about. Okay. See, this is very helpful. She I, hasn't said anything yet. Oh, but she well, cares. Yeah, you That's the part that she yeah. cares. Right, you don't you. know if it's helpful it's or not. It's going to be helpful. <laughs> Well, one thing is is to potentially in the morning as you get out of bed or before you get out of bed or I have a chair I sit in to say, how is it that you want to mother me today? And even that whole question right. of how, how God might want to mother me is a challenge for those of us who've grown up in a fairly patriarchal system. Right. To like even begin to know God as, as being bigger than... Uh, the image that maybe we were given as a child. But to enter into that relationship by uh, listening, by, for me, reading scripture or reading other inspirational work uh, by other folks. Um, I think to, to be asking God, what is it that you want for me or from me is a question that we all have. It's a question yeah, of meaning, yeah, right? Yeah. We're all looking for meaning in our life. And uh, to me, that's the source to go to, where to, where to ask that question. And what, we ha- what most of us haven't learned is uh, the ability to just wait and listen and trust. And I can tell you, I've never actually heard a voice where, you know, God said, 
Dana, this is it. Uh, but uh, I have paid attention to uh, the people who have arrived in my life who I think were a response to my question to oh, God, yeah. that God yeah. works through, through people, through opportunities uh, that come up. Second question I like to ask myself, um, well, I shouldn't say like, uh, Dana, I challenge can we me. hold the second yeah. question for just oh a minute? Oh, my God. Take a quick Dana, break. you're flying by. The time is flying by. We'll be right back after this brief message from our sponsor. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. This is Doug sneaking down the hall. Yeah. <laughs> it's me and Ellie. Yeah. Oh, it's you and Ellie? Trumpet and clarinet. Father, I like it. A daughter intro to Bob Marley. We're back with our final segment. I can't believe it's gone by this fast. Amazing. This fast with my good friend Dana. And Dana was about to to jump into the second question well, second. without any further ado uh, it, interestingly enough you said the word while we were on break and the word was value how is it that i'm going to live out what i value today mm-hmm. and uh i think that that can be a leading force for for all of us um to determine what those those values are that are important so in asking that question i just would offer that i think all of us have different questions that we ask and i think there are potentially different answers for each of us too so by no means Mm -hmm. do i have any sense of you know what that is for all people but that's those are two questions that i ask myself Mm -hmm. i i have a question um trying to think of how to ask this female priests even in the episcopal church is a fairly recent thing i mean when Mm -hmm. i grew up in the 60s there might have been one uh, no, nobody ever heard who she was, but now it, it's fairly common. But is there still, do you feel like there's still pushback because you're a woman? Um, I, I don't know how to ask this question, well, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. I think that, you know, that if you look at where women are doing ministry, there aren't many who are deans of cathedrals. Um, rectors of larger churches so yeah I think there's pushback in terms of uh, the opportunities that even female clergy have and definitely but we had this specific discussion about um, hiring a specific person and I was saying that where I work the pastor would just be like uh-uh, I don't like it I don't like it blah 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 Let's do this. And I said, well, why can't we just do this? And you're like, yeah, 
because it's not the right time because <clears throat> I can't do that. I haven't been here long enough or whatever it happened to be. You're like, I just, I can't do it yet. And I'm like, well, you're the pastor. I think, I think we should really do this. And again, it wasn't my job to do that, but we were talking, remember? And I'm like, I really think this is the right decision. You're like, I just, I can't, I can't do it yet. I'm still new. I can't do, oh, sorry. I'm still new. I can't do it yet. And you said it's because, it is because I'm a woman. I can't do it. And I don't know if that was exactly your question. It was kind of getting at that because I was curious. I mean, some Christian denominations are more liberal than others. Certainly uh, the Episcopal Church would be considered, in this country, right, one of the more liberal ones as, as some of the Lutherans are. Now, interestingly enough, if you go to Africa, the church is quite conservative. Uh, but I was I was wondering how far the doors are open was really kind of my question, and I guess you sort of do answered Do you remember that? that? I do remember that conversation. I think that there's, um, you know, first of all, I'm, it's just not my, it's not my style. I don't think that it's uh, necessarily, uh, you know, speaks to being Episcopalian or not. Uh, I like to really feel engaged with a community, and uh, I will come and go. Like every parish community, uh, their priests will come and go. That community, um, the community I serve, is 57 years old, and you can go ahead and tell people where it is. They might yeah. be interested in stopping. Yeah, by. Nativity Burnsville, uh, it's wonderful. Right across community. the highway from Buck Hill, almost directly. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> absolutely, and um, I think it's been really important for me t to be immersed in their story, uh, to be in relationship with that particular community, with their particular charisms and with how the Holy One is showing up in their neighborhood and how they're deciding to engage with the Holy One. And it's not, I don't believe it's for me to make all the decisions or very few decisions. I think it's for the community to determine how that community is gonna respond and move forward. So uh, in terms of what we might choose to do for a particular style of worship, et cetera, I think it's important for me to be in relationship with that community and, and know and discern where the spirit's moving with them um and yeah i it's i, I don't think it's ever advisable to just determine single-handedly how something necessarily should play out without uh having a, a bigger conversation with the community about it and sometimes you just it's, it takes a lot of listening so for people that may not know, I'll, I'll tell my little story that sort of in a smart-ass way des describes what the Episcopal Church is. So when Sarah and I, before we got married, she works at a huge Catholic church in Hastings. There are 10,000 people that go, 3,000 families or something like that. And the, and the head priest at the time was a guy named Father Jim Perkle. Um, who, coincidentally enough, his father started White Bear Dodge and Funny Cars. So he was kind what? of a car guy, huh. but he was also a, kind of a spacey guy, too. So we're out on the boat, and he's trying to convert me. And he says, you know, what's your faith background? And I says, well, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. And he goes, oh, do you know the history of the church? And I said, well, yeah, basically Henry VIII hated the Pope, and he wanted to get divorced. But other than that, we just sort of ripped off everything that the Catholics did. And that's a smug way of saying it, but that really kind of was the beginning of the Anglican Church. And he says, oh, well, you know, it's so it's really not that different to become a Catholic. And I said, Father Jim, let me explain something to you. You guys are the biggest guys on the block. You're like the New York Yankees of Christianity. 
Problem is, I'm a Red Sox fan, and I'm not switching. And he just laughed. To his credit, he got See, the that's joke. that's good. And, I yeah. like that. So, anyway, Dana's going, Dana's when do I get out of here? There's three and a half more minutes. Well, I should tell her my, my Lutheran picture story then. She'll love that. I don't know that story. You don't? No. Oh, several years ago. I don't know, like 20 years ago probably. My wife and I were invited to a wedding in a Lutheran church, right? I've not spent much time in Lutheran churches because I'm not Scandinavian or whatever they are. Whatever. Germans. <laughs> whatever well, Germans they are. I didn't know Germans were Lutheran. Mostly yeah. Catholics, aren't they? Well, no, not all no, of them. Germans are. No. Martin Lutheran. Luther was oh, German. I th- yeah. oh, I, well, Martin Luther was German, yeah, but he's the one who messed up everything up. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway. He was good with nails, though. <laughs> yes, he was. He was good with nails. Read this. Well, only took him one try. So we get invited. Didn't I don't hit, know didn't anybody. Didn't hit his thumb. Anyway, go ahead. This is a friend of Catherine's, my wife's. I don't know anybody in the deal. So I figure I lose, you know, lighten up the moment, loosen things up a little bit, you know, because people did recognize me when I went in from doing the morning show and mm-hmm. all that. So I try to make them a little more comfortable. I figured I'd joke around. So I walk in, and there is about a 30-foot high by 20-foot wide picture of Jesus, a painting of Jesus. And it's huge, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to this guy. I look at him and go, oh, who's that now? <laughs> Nobody laughed. Oh, no. Nobody. They did not think that was funny in the least. I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> Get a sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, come on. Uh, well, it could have been like, you know. Cheech Marin or Tommy Chong. I'm going to tell a quick Dana story. We're Facebook, <laughs> a quick Dana story. We're Facebook friends, and I don't remember me. exactly <laughs> what it was about, but I think it had to do with the whole mask debate that's raging in this country, and and it was going back and forth. It was still staying pretty respectful, but Dana at one point posted, Jesus never told people to be stupid. <laughs> I love that. Yes, the quote, unfortunately, I will become famous for. Well, no, it's a great quote because it's true. It's 100% true. Uh, we almost got through it without making her nervous, but we got to her. Uh, I know. <laughs> you didn't seem nervous to me. I don't know. I, I, I like the whole idea. Just can people ever accept... Uh, faith is just this wonderful thing instead of this really hard work and it's, oh, it's so difficult. No, it's not. To have faith in something other than yourself is really, really easy. Let it go, right? Just let it go. Yeah. Well, and I also think that um, even though if, if you said from time to time, well, I'm not a religious person or, or blah, 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 or this and that, I think that God's working through you whether you think he is or not right always the things that you do your generosity absolutely when you say god what do i do you're already doing it it's already happening (laughs) and when you ask that i think it's hilarious because it's always happening it's like the modern parable of the uh, man trapped on his roof in the flood have you heard that one yes absolutely it's a pretty famous one absolutely I sent a boat. Yeah, exactly. Always working. Always working. Mm-hmm. Especially if you have to ask that question. It's God, even funnier. Up with a parable. It's even funnier. Mm-hmm. Well, but I mean, all kids can go to mom and dad and say, what, what do you think I should do? I was never able to do that. And that's what that's all about. Yeah. I, would, I never had the opportunity. Yeah, I guess. So. My children are growing up in a multi-faith home, so their father is Roman Catholic and continues to uh, practice that. And, and my, you know, in our, in our home... 
it's uh, you know same holy one, different building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there you go. Right, and that's exactly right. God has found God's way to reach yep. God's people. Yep. And uh, I don't, I don't need to stand in, in decision or in judgment about any of that. I, yep. I just get to participate in, in the beauty of all, all the ways that 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 has happened on the planet in many different faith traditions. And if you're not the type of person that that might get up in the morning and open the Bible to Scripture, um, you can see it. People opening the doors for for other people, or just you can see it everywhere. And then, then, and, you, and if you can feel, you can just feel the work. You can feel the work. Sometimes you can just <coughs> different people see and feel faith in different ways. But God's always working. He's always working. It just depends on the way that you want to let it into your life. I think some people like to do it through Scripture, but and that's why I like to work at work instead of working at home because I can feel it and I can smell it in the church and right. I can see it in the windows and all the emails that I get from the different. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just I I it's I, I have to be there. You're spot on, Sarah, about it. it's like all all the different sensations. Absolutely, and the like things you that said, you're saying, the rituals and everything where mm-hmm. you loved to be at church or you at love school. That stuff. You love the statues. You love the crucifixes. Yep. You loved everything about it because yep. it's in you. It's what, in you. One of my favorite memories was visiting someone who was passing, and I was celebrating with this person their last rites. And as I reached over to mark this person. He said to me, you even smell Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) See, now that I love. I love that. Can we close with the great poster of all time? Sure. There's a poster, and it's still out there. You can get it. It's a big poster, and there's a line from the upper left to the lower right. The picture to the upper right of that line is a football player, an NFL player, on his knees thanking God for helping him score a touchdown. And from the line down to the left is Jesus with his feet up watching hockey. hockey game. I posted that. <laughs> Love that. I posted that on our church Facebook page. <laughs> He's watching the hockey. Because he doesn't give a flying hooter. He doesn't care. It's not the we way have, it we works. We have to go a little. I have to see if you watch something. We're going to go yeah. a little bit long. <laughs> no problem. There's an... I don't... I'll try to describe it. Have you ever seen a show, I think it was on HBO, called Black Jesus? Oh, Black Jesus is, oh, God, it's phenomenal. I actually haven't seen it, but I have heard about it. You oh. should watch it. And there's, it's hysteri- basically, it's, it's phenomenal. if Jesus was this huge black guy, he's like 6'8", and he comes back to Earth, and his best buddy's a pot dealer, and he's in Compton in L.A. And when you think about it, that's just so outrageous. But, you but know, is it really? But why not? He's not going to come to Edina, yeah. right? <laughs> why he might go to Syria okay, or well, someplace, fine. and so... But there's one episode where I think he winds up being a coach uh, for, is it kids soccer? Mm-hmm. And all the parents are praying to him, and he's like granting all these prayers, and the, <laughs> it's like the, the score's 40 to 39, and he's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. That isn't it. And he calls God Pops. and it's, Pops, yeah, he calls him Pops. It, parts of it will be a, a challenge for you to watch, but Sarah really enjoyed it. And it, oh, it does it. make some really good points. It's very uneven. Um, but the point is, this is not how it works. You don't, you can't pray mm-hmm. to win the game. This right. is not how prayers are answered. Right. Because he's got this mom and this mom, and he's paying attention. He's like, what? Oh, okay, yeah, what? wait, wait. <laughs> it's very funny, but some of it's very 
disgusting. Man. But you get locked in, seriously. Man. You get locked in the first episode, Black Jesus, 6'8", gigantic black man, walks up to all these guys. And he wears and, robes and he's got the headband right. and long, you know, flowing like black Jesus, hair. But he lives in Compton in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, right? And the first thing I ever heard him say, he walks up these group of, of, of young black men, he walks up and goes, what up, thugs? <laughs> Really? That's what Jesus would say. But there's one man, and he's an alcoholic, and he cures him. And the guy's so mad at him. Oh, that's great. Jesus, it's, just, it's very odd. He cured my alcoholism. It's very odd. <laughs> I hate you, Jesus. <laughs> Wraps up episode 66. What an episode. The Church <laughs> Ladies of Walzer Automotive Group's Car Selling Secrets. Uh, tune in next Thursday. And our, our one of our good friends, Larry Moon Thompson from the Moon oh, Station yeah. Show, 17 years on uh, KS95, will be sitting in studio with... Number one for 17 years. Man, I don't wonder what kind of stories he's going to tell. <laughs> he was on this morning. It was great. Yeah, he was wonderful. He was so great. we'll see you next week. Thank you very much.